Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We're so blessed that you've taken the time out of your evening to join us in this fellowship. So grateful for the opportunity. And we just want to say hello to everyone in the chat. So glad you are here. They gave me the keys tonight, so I am on my own, but I've got a special guest that I'm about to bring in. So uh, I just wanted to thank everybody first, and we're just so blessed to have this opportunity as long as it lasts. And um, we are going to use this weapon of the adversary, you could call it, use it against him to proclaim the word of Yah, to gather together as a one body in unity to glorify and worship him tonight. So, so thankful everybody's here. Before we get going, I am going to have a quick shofar blast just to get rid of any of that negative energy that might be out there. If you have one, feel free to blow it as well. So let's get this going. All right. Now that I can hear an only one ear, let me introduce my guest tonight. I'm so thankful to have him here. He is Stephen Lane, and he attends the Jacobs Tent Fellowship down in Cleveland, Tennessee. I came across him the other week as he was presenting a message, uh, filling in for Bill Cloud, and I was just drawn to his message, and he really brought some wonderful insights, and I thought, what better place to have him here so he could share some things with us tonight on our tour portion. So let me go ahead and bring him in, and everybody give him a welcome. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> Shabbat shalom, Mishka. How are you guys? Great to have you. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm really looking forward to this, and uh, I hope that this may not be the, the last time we see you. You know, we're always welcome here, and we're just so thankful that you responded to our call and felt like um, joining us this evening. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, I was really impressed with uh, the different things that I saw in the ministry as we've been uh, kind of keeping an eye on you guys for a while. And so, um, I I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. That is wonderful. Yes, I know Shell Wagner and Bill Cloud have done things mm -hmm. together in the past, and yeah. so uh, we're uh, me and my wife are looking forward to taking a visit sometime soon down to Jacob's Tent. We're about two hours from you guys, so uh, we hope that we can do that sometime soon. I know a lot of our fellowship here enjoys the online stream that you guys do each each Shabbat. I believe was at eleven Eastern. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we we enjoy that so much. Uh, us personally, we don't have a a local fellowship, so we do all of our stuff online, and uh, it's a, it's another great resource that we have really enjoyed over these past few months that we've started participating in. So we have lots of people with us tonight. Thank you, everybody. We've got, I see Dan and Jennifer Lane. Great to see you guys. My, my wife. Folk. What's that? My kinfolk. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Possible relation there. Let's see. We've got Robert Wagner. Brother, hope you are feeling better. I know you've been under the weather, so we are lifting you up as well. Hope that you recover a very quickly. Sue Taylor, great to see you. First time here. So glad you found us. Hope this message is a blessing for you. 
and everybody here. Judy, great to see you. Shabbat Shalom. Scott Smith, another newcomer. All right. Thank you very much. And anybody else strolling in, so thankful you are here. We got Wirewool. Great to see you. Dan as well. Shalom. So, yes, yeah, so thankful that you all decided to show up. So, before we get going, I will say a quick prayer, and then I've got a worship song I'd like to share as well, just to send up some praise to Yah before we dig into this tour portion. So, we can bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that you have given us and this set-apart time that you have made a covenant between us and you, that we can grow closer to you, grow further from this world. And we just ask that you bless each and everyone here tonight as they give forth their praise and worship of you, that they stay on this narrow path that you have set us apart from the world. And we just are so thankful for your perfect word, your promises, and your blessings. And we are so thankful for everybody here at this Heart of the Tribe ministry, as well as Jacob's Tent, just all of us doing this for you and to grow the kingdom. And we just ask that you bless our words tonight. Fill us with your Ruach HaKodesh. And then just bless Stephen for being here as well. We just lift up our praise to you in your heavenly name. Amen. All right. I am going to share a song. Came across this song earlier this week, and I just thought, was very fitting. It's called Made to Worship from Brian McCleary. And hopefully, let me get you down. Hopefully you guys can hear it all right. Whatever it looks like here I am. Whatever it looks like, here I am, for I was made to worship, to love you, oh, I was made to There is joy in surrender and peace in letting go, just knowing you're in control. There's hope in knowing that morning is rising and you may call things new. Oh. In every season, on this journey, I'll come up leaning on you alone. My heart will trust you, and I will lean into your understanding, and not my own. You'll be the song on my lips in 
enjoyed that song and I thought it, it was very fitting for our portion today it you know we we see Yosef or Joseph has goes through many different seasons in his life and what does he do he trusts Yah and knows that he has his plan set ahead of him and you know that one of my favorite verses out of Proverbs at the end you know lean not unto your own understanding there was many times where Yosef was probably like, all right, I don't know what's going on, what you have planned for me, but I'm going to trust you. And so you can Amen. see that he became victorious because he did put his trust in y'all. So I just wanted to share that. All righty. Well, would you like to start off? I know you've got some slides uh, and then we can just kind of go back and forth as you know, we, would discuss you know this is a a virtual living room so it's a, a casual discussion you know we just we we welcome any comments questions out of the chat as well so if you have any insight please do share and um we'll just uh whatever y'all leads us to well i've always liked this tour portion um most because i love this part of um joseph's life you know not not the the betrayal part, but just seeing him come into, um, just begin that journey, you know, towards yeah. becoming the one who saves the world basically. <laughs> and, um, and so, I mean, as we get started, you know, they're in 37, obviously this is a very familiar part of this, of the story. Joseph is, uh, brought in, brought on the scene, you know, he's, he is, he is the, uh, he is the firstborn now, you know, Reuben has yeah. disqualified himself. He's the firstborn and, I think that's an interesting um, dynamic is that, you know, in the church, we always talked about how, oh, Jacob was, you know, Yaakov, he's, he's showing favoritism. And this is why you don't show favoritism, because it brings all these problems. And, and I, and I was like, well, yes. And yes, he loved him. And yes, he might could have not given him the coat. But the thing that I, I think that, that we don't really process is that he was the firstborn now. Mm -hmm. You know, and his father was pouring into him. So that coat, you know, if, if Reuben had had it, they did. Well, well, it's Reuben. He's the firstborn and the oldest, you know, but being sure. one of the youngest, you know, and uh, being elevated to that position, that's hard. You know, and as Paul says, don't let him despise your youth. Um, 
and and Jacob was pouring all these things into him, you know, to prepare him to lead the family because he was going to lead the family. You sure. know, this wasn't a question. And so, you know, we 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 see him, and 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 he he gives the the bad report to about his brothers and his fathers, you know, listening to him, and and he has the dreams, and he, you know, Bill talks about that sometimes, our pastor Bill, and uh, and and you know. Just because you've seen something doesn't necessarily mean you need to share it. And I don't dispute that. You know, there's a time for that kind of stuff. However, um, he does, and, and they don't appreciate that. And Jacob didn't even seem to appreciate it. But eventually he ends up sending them out to, uh, sending Joseph out to check on his brothers in Dothan. And I hadn't ever even looked up that. You know, I mean, I lived next to a town called Dothan when I lived in Alabama years ago. But, um, I didn't realize that he sent him 60 miles away on foot. Wow. You know, I mean, that's a long trip, you know, and it kind of gives, you know, and you're looking for some people who could be anywhere in the 60 miles, you know, but um, so Jacob ends up, you know, he's out there and they see him coming, you know, no doubt they can see the coat and that's, you know, picking up in <laughs> verse 18, they can see him there and, Oh, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And, and, um, so Joseph comes to find them. They want to kill him. Reuben talks him out of that. Uh, he plans to free him. He plans to send him home. You know, Judah, Yehuda, he sees the merchants. And Yosef is sold. And that, and what stands out to me is verse 31. So if you want to put up slide two, just so they can sure. see the verses I'm reading. Um, you know. Anyway, slide two is that up at the top there, it says, and they took Yosef's coat they killed a kid of the goats and they dipped the coat in the blood. And I had a friend who, uh, when he started, you know, when he, when we got back together, he asked me one time, you know, I've been reading in Jubilees and it says something interesting in Jubilees. I want to know if that's, that's what, you know, you think. And so I had that portion from Jubilees 34 right below that. And it goes on to say, and in the seventh year of this week, he sent Yosef to learn about the welfare of his brothers and from uh, his house to the land of Shechem and he found them in Dothan and they dealt treacherously with him and they formed a plot against him to slay him but changing their minds they sold him to Yishmael uh, leave merchants and they brought him down into Mitzrayim and they sold him to Potiphar the eunuch of Pharaoh the chief of the cooks priest of the city of Ailu uh, and the sons of Yaakov slaughtered a kid and dipped the coat of Yosef in the blood and sent it to Yaakov, their father, on the 10th of the seventh month. And that was really the, the question he wanted to ask me was, did they really send that coat to him on the Day of Atonement? And that my that got my whole mind thinking about, wow, you know, wow. the goats. You know, it's, you know, the, the thing, um, um, I'm going down to uh, the next slide there. But um, Leviticus 16 kind of talks about those two goats and i know we're all familiar with this so i'll cover this in a lot of detail but you know he talks about um he says and he shall take of the assembly of the children of yasharel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for an ascending smoke offering and we know that those two goats you know one of them of course is slaughtered and his blood is used in the uh in the sacrifice you know or in the, excuse me in the making of atonement uh as they go, as the priest goes all the way in and comes back out all the way out to the, uh, to the altar. And so his sure. blood is sprinkled in a number of different places. And, uh, and then 
the other goat, of course, is led off in, into Azazel, and it says there in, uh, in Leviticus, and he shall take the two goats and present them before Yahweh at the door of the tabernacle of the assembly. And Aharon shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for Yahuwah and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which Yahuwah's uh, lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be for Azazel shall be presented alive before Yahuwah to make an atonement for him and to let him go for Azazel into the wilderness. And so, so the one is killed, like I said, for his blood. The other is led off into the wilderness. And I see the brothers literally acting this out, you know. They have just sinned by selling their brother and they slaughter a goat and they dip his, 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 um, his coat into that blood and send it back to their father. So they've, they've covered, you know, like a cover up, not, not the, not the true uh, sense of atonement, but they are covering their sin with this goat's blood. And then Joseph is like the other goat. He's the one who's literally led out into the wilderness to Azazel. And, and Azazel is this, uh, you know, name that Jubilees has for, you know, what we would call Hasatan, the enemy, the adversary, sure. Mastema. You know, there's a number of names for him that, that, that come up through the scriptures. But, but uh, as he's led out to Azazel, he's taken to Egypt, which is the, that's the seat of power in the world right there. You know, and the enemy always seems to be in the seat of power you know, in the world. And it's, that's the place where the mystery religion is headquartered at the time, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about that. And, and so he's being led away and he's carrying the evidence of their sin with him off to Egypt. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of mind blowing to think of that, you know, but then that is you know, great. As, my, as my brain starts making connections, you know, Yeshua was also led off. So Matthew 1 through 3 there. And, and you guys are familiar with this. I'm just going to read a small portion of this. When, you, um, when Yahushua was led up, uh, led up of the Ruach into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of Elohim, command these stones be made bread. And you guys know the rest of that story, obviously. You know, the enemy's trying to tempt him. And he's not having it. He's going to answer them with the word because he is the word. He is victorious over the enemy through all those temptations. And, of course, the angels come and minister after him. And I thought, wait a minute, there's a, there's a connection here. You've got in, in the, the Leviticus 16 ritual, you've got a goat being led off into the wilderness, you know, carrying the sin. Uh, and he meets allegedly to Azazel or carrying the sin to Azazel. Joseph, you know, who is figuratively, you know, uh, representing the goats, you know, you see the, the blood, the one goat that's killed, and then he's led off to Azazel. And then of course, Messiah is both, who is more literally both goats. He's led off into the wilderness. He's not enslaved by the enemy like Joseph was. He's victorious over him. He perfectly atones for the sins of his brothers, not just covers it up. And he also dies, but's res but is resurrected. He crushes the enemy's head in this perfect victory. And, and I'm kind of thankful that Yah gives us this important concept in not only the ritual form from Leviticus and not only the literal form in Yeshua's fulfillment of it, but he gives it in a real life and practical form because, you know, we understand all these things, but we really relate to that practical thing as Yeshua would tell parables. This is like a parable almost of, of how that, that what that picture is supposed to look like, how 
just as Joseph's brothers slaughter that goat and shed its blood, you know, that blood covers sin. You know, mm. we, we, we may not understand atonement fully, but we definitely understand a cover up, you know, and all of us have done things where we covered our sin in some way, shape or form or hid our sin in some way, shape or form. That's not what he's talking about, you know. And then, of course, uh, seeing the picture of of how, you know, Yeshua was let off. I just I love that. I don't know what you guys what you think about that. I'll throw it over to you. Um, no, that's great. I, I love any time we can find a parallel, you know, with the Messiah and stories from the Old Testament, especially the Torah. You know, these first five books, um, there was a few things that I had actually thought about that kind of compared Yosef and Messiah. I know in past uh, episodes we've done ones with Yitzhak and, uh, of course, Moshe. There's so many parallels that we can have between the two. But two that I had come up found was obviously uh, many conspired to kill Messiah, just like many conspired to kill Yosef, uh, you know, like his that. 11 brothers. Um, it didn't really work out for him. You know, they by their actions, they tried to prevent him from ruling over them. But what they ended up doing was forcing him into a position where he would rule over them one day in turn, save their family. But uh, it just, I found that interesting. The other one was how we see Yosef was in the pit for three days, very similar to how Yahushua spent three days in Sheol. So yeah. I, I do see that there's so many parallels and that, that's one thing we enjoy doing on Let's Talk Tour is bringing those out. So yeah. that was a great point that you had about the scapegoat and uh, covering the oh. sin. Just really amazing. One last one last little thing I almost forgot about is that uh, Revelation 19 tells us that when Yeshua returns, he's going to return in a garment dipped in blood. And I thought, how wild wow. would it be if he returned in like a multicolored coat dipped in blood? You know, because brother, brother Yehuda would recognize that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he would say, I remember that coat. <laughs> I remember that coat. And, wow. um, yeah. and it would be an interesting thing and point him all the way back to Joseph. So there's a lot of connections in there. It's kind of neat. No, that's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Just looking through some of my notes uh -huh. so we don't skip anything. I really enjoy the whole story on the coat. You know, I was mm -hmm. trying to look into it to see if there was, you know, some description. And of course, the, the coat of many colors, we don't know how many colors it was. We, you know, maybe grow up learning the, the childhood stories thinking it's, you know, uh, looks like the, the zebra stripe gum, you know, but there's so many interpretations on that. Mm -hmm. I think it was obviously compared to what the brothers were wearing, you know, a, a very high class, expensive garment, you know, that showed almost royalty. Um, one that someone would not work in, you know, compared to their brothers working out in the field in their, in their tunic. But one thing I came across, I thought was very interesting. And this, this is just something I had thought of. When you look in first Ezekiel 28, 
says, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahuwah. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spoke. So we have a witness of seeing into the heavens. Well, we also have another witness in Revelations. John, in chapter 4, says, after, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in the heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as if it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white garment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And we also have record of Lucifer before he fell as Hasatan described as a cherubim, a spirit being in the third heaven, was decorated with many precious stones. Uh, you've got the, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, and emerald, carbuncle. And it says that, I'm trying to figure out where this is exactly, verse 14 that, his, that Lucifer's body formed some type of canopy over this throne. The multicolored precious stones served as prisms or mirrors. Its body reflected the glory of the colored light that radiated from Yahuwah. Surely all these colors formed a beautiful rainbow. And so I was reading these scriptures and I realized, well, who else has seen into the heavens? You know, we know Yaakov had the dream where he saw the, the gate open into the heavens. And I just thought, would this be a representation of what he saw, you know, trying to emulate this rainbow of colors to create this coat? You know, there's not much description on who made it, where it came from, but it was just kind of a connection that I thought was somewhat interesting, you know, correlating it to the rainbow and then the coat of many colors. Amen. Amen. What was the last reference you were reading about, um, you were reading from? Let's see here. It was, I believe, might have been Ezekiel 1, and then we've got Revelation 4, chapter okay. 4. Okay. And that's where it describes the, the precious stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking of New Jerusalem, how the foundations of New Jerusalem are covered with those stones. So Exactly, yes. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, kind of um, continuing on with the thought of Day of Atonement, you know, it's that we don't participate at the moment. You know, in our exile right now, we don't participate with the, the ritual portion of it, you know, the goats and the, all that part. But we do participate in the uh, affliction part. And, uh, and the other part of what, what I saw, in, at least in regards to that, was, was about Jacob's or Yaakov's mourning. And if you go to slide six, I just wanted to read a little bit from Genesis 37. Picking up in verse 32, it said, 
And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Know now whether it be your son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Yosef is without doubt rent in pieces. And Yaakov rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. It reminds me of what um, from the New Testament where they're talking about Rachel, you know, and how Rachel's children are dead and she refused to be comforted. Mm -hmm. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down unto Sheol unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him and mit and the Midianim sold him into Mitzrayim. And, and it, so it's kind of describing, that's the Genesis description, but um, Jubilees gives us a little bit more detail. And in the next slide, um, it talks about a lot more of what was going on in that morning. And it says that, uh, and this is from Jubilees 34, you know, where obviously I'm, I'm quoting the Sefer right now, but I don't know what, what whatever version Jubilees you have, but... And he mourned all that night for they had for they had brought it into him in the evening and he became feverish with mourning for his death, for Joseph's death. And he said, an evil beast has devoured Yosef and all the members of his house mourned with him that day. And they were grieving and they were mourning with him all that day. And his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted for a son. So I love how Jubilees and Genesis just confirm the same information back and forth. Mm -hmm. And on that day, Billah heard that Yosef had perished, and she died mourning him. So Billah, of course, is Rachel's servant and Jacob's wife. Uh, she dies mourning him, and she was living in, um, I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce that name. And Dina also, his daughter, died after Yosef had perished. So um, I want to talk about Dina and, 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 and Billah in, in just a minute. But... Um, going on, it says that there came these three mornings upon Yasharel, upon Israel. So, you know, it goes back and forth between Israel and Jacob in one month. And they buried Billah over against the tomb of Rachel and Dinah, also his daughter. And they buried there. And he mourned for Yosef for one year. And, and that really stuck out to me. He mourned for Yosef for one year. And so, I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the Jewish rituals. I understand it's called you know, I, they sit, sit kiddish, not kiddish. They sit, I can't think of what it's called, but, um, but I don't think it lasts a year, you know, and I, I think it lasts 30 days and then they light a candle and it's kind of like, okay, done. We're going back to regular life. But, but you can imagine the brothers, you know, every single day for a year, here's their father. And he's not just mourning or he's not just sad or depressed. He's in there bitterly mourning. And, and so after a week, after a month, they get up. Is he still in there? He's still in there. Oh, my gosh. I can't even go in there today. I can't see this. This is not what I intended. I just wanted to get rid of Joseph. I, I can't believe it. And, and the more I thought about that, you know, as, as we're commanded to afflict ourselves, this is the idea of it. You know, this kind of mourning is the idea of, oh, my goodness. Uh, hold on. Let me just think of how I want to put this. Um, this is the picture of how the father feels when we transgress his law. This is the picture of how the father feels when he had to give away his own son to cover, you know, as, as the atoning sacrifice to cover our sins. 
And, and as we continue on, it says, for this reason, it is ordained for the children of Yasharel that they should afflict themselves on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day that the news which made him weep for Yosef came to Yaakov. And of course, you can see the parallels. The father is mourning for his son. Um, his father, they should make atonement for themselves. They're on with a young goat. And I'll, and I'll let you know them read the rest of that. But um, this is what transgressing the Torah does to our father. This is how we felt. And, and I know that there's, there's, there's a lot of opinions on what, what does afflicting yourself mean? And some people fast, we fast. Um, some people, you know, just sit and read the word all day long, but they eat. Some people just take the day off of work mm -hmm. and, and whatever it is that you're doing, I know we're all doing what's right in our own eyes right now, but whatever it is that you're doing, if we have this picture in our mind of, of Jacob just mourning for a whole year, bitterly weeping, feverish, you know, and, and, and that the whole part about Bill and Dina, we'll get to that in a minute, but that just kind of blows me away too. But there is a lot going on here that we miss when we don't incorporate, you know, these other books into our, into our, uh, into our study of these things, because Genesis, you know, it, it's like if we only had Mark, you know, or we only had John, you know, you need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in a lot of ways, I think we need Genesis, Jubilees, and Jasher, you know, to get a complete picture of what goes on because each one just donates a little bit to the other. It's, 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 it, it, I don't know what, I'll throw it over to you. What do you, what, what do you want to do with that? <laughs> it's definitely been a blessing, you know, to have these extra books, um, mm -hmm. I've referenced them quite a bit in, in the various sh shows I do, um, you know, to see what might have been left out, you know, something that I haven't ever come across. And it, it really helps restore and, and, like you said, confirm a lot of the things that we yeah. see. Um, yeah. So it has been a blessing for me as well. I, I agree with you there. Amen. Well, I know we have also, you know, used the, the, the testimonies of the 12 patriarchs. And I've Love actually it. got uh, a part I'd like to read towards the end, you know, one, as we finish up here, the, the one from Joseph, but uh, wow, those are truly amazing. And you get a, a real deep understanding of each yes. son, you know, what they went through, the struggles, uh, how they ended up regretting this, you know, for <laughs> the majority of their time, uh, what they did to, to Joseph and, um, you know, how the anger and jealousy, you know, caused uh, health issues within them and all kinds of things. Uh, oh, yeah. It just really gives a much deeper breakdown. I know my my wife and Shell Wagner on their Heart of the Tribe show, they were breaking down the 12 tribes and the body systems, how mm -hmm. the, the 12 tribes correlate to the various body systems. And it was fascinating Oh, to wow. see the connections between those. And they broke down a lot of the, the testaments there. And uh, it was heart-wrenching to, to listen to some of those. <laughs> Man, I love the Testament, the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. I've got a mm -hmm. quote. I, I wanted to have two, but I've got a quote um, from that from that book. So I've been actually going over. Um, Adam's doing a little breakout of those. You've been I don't know if you watch, still watch. Adam. I have seen those. Yeah. The series he's been doing. Yeah. So he's doing a really good job. I love the point that he puts, that he puts out where he says that those books give us some of the most practical teaching on how to deal with our sin. 
you know, because, mm. you know, it's the sometimes the canon, you know, the Western canon, you know, does a very good job of pointing out what those sins are, you know, how that how that reflects the Torah, how the Torah reflects those sins. Um, but not not as much practical information about how to deal with it. And uh, I love that other book. I love the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. It's definitely worth reading. Def, agreed. Worth yeah, it's, reading. it's like <clears throat> you, you just see at their the end of their age. All right, sons, come listen. I've got a wealth of knowledge yeah. to share with you because I have gone through it, you know, the thick and thin. And here's how to overcome that. And uh, it's a great point you made, you know, a very deep lesson we can all learn mm -hmm. from those. Yeah. And like so many of the extra books, you know, um, when you break it down, what do the extra books tell you? And, and probably why they were removed. They tell you to follow the Torah, you know, to obey Levi and Judah. <laughs> you know, they tell you to do all these things. You know, they, they, anyway, you know, I'm, I'm preaching the choir here, I'm sure. Audience, <laughs> so uh, all good stuff. But, um, but uh, getting to the part about Bill, did you have anything? I want to get into Bill and Dina, but yeah, go ahead. Did you have anything? Um, but, uh, Bill and Dina are, are, are fascinating in this, that, that they're mentioned and that they both died. You know, just to, just to rehash that point, that part, it says, on that day, Bill heard that Yosef had perished and she died mourning him. And she was living in Kafrat F, Kafrat F. And Dina also, his daughter, died after Yosef had perished. And there came these three mornings upon Yasharel in one month. And, they, and he talks about where they buried them. But um, I remember when I first saw this, well, actually, just before we even get to that, Whenever you see a random detail, especially if it's about a woman, whether it's a sister, a mother, a daughter, um, that's a stop sign. Because, you know, the, the, the scriptures do tend to follow the male side of the, the story. It's just the way it is. We don't have any. I mean, I didn't write it. You know, you know, obviously nobody in this century wrote it. Um, but. Uh, but when we see a, a, a woman mentioned. That's like a big stop sign. There's a detail here. And so when I see like Billa and Dina's death portrayed there, I want to stop and see what, what we have to look at. And then this gets a little involved. So, so uh, I think Bill likes to say he wants to run around Mount Sinai for a little while. I, I'm going <laughs> to need to run around Mount Sinai for a minute here, but uh, hopefully this bears some fruit. Um, one of the first observations you get from that is that Billa is a bride who was defiled by a family member and never saw her husband again. Mm. And Dina was a virgin who was defiled by a foreigner and never became a bride. And I sat there trying to roll that around in my mind for a long time going, okay, I see it. I see that. But what does that have to do with anything? And so, you know, if we look into Billa, okay, well, so what happened with Billa? Well, Genesis tells us that that Yasharel journeyed, uh, Genesis, this is a uh, slide nine, if you want to read, the, read along with me. Uh, Yasharel journeyed and spread his tent beyond Migdal Adair. And it came to pass when Yasharel dwelt in that land that Reuven uh, went and lay with Billa, his father's concubine, and Yasharel heard of it. So that tells us that Reuven did something wrong, but it doesn't give us any details about it at all. It just, it's like, okay, Reuven did this and, and then we're moving on. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, what happened with that? Uh, well, why? You know, well, Jubilees helps out a little bit here. And it says that Yaakov went to dwell 
south of Magdalaref, so Migdaladere, Magdalaref, same place. And he went to his father Yitzhak and lay out his woman on the new moon of the 10th month. So now, okay, all right. And that's what I love about Jubilees. It time, it time date stamps everything. Yeah. But it confirms, you know, that, oh, okay, so that's, that's what happened. Jacob and Leah were gone. And they had gone to celebrate the new moon with Yitzhak. Okay, okay. So I'm I'm getting that. So the kids are left basically with Billa and Zilpah, you know, because the parents are gone. So Reuben saw Billa, Rachel's maid, the concubine of his father, bathing in water in a secret place, and he loved her. Okay, I get that. And he hid himself at night, and he entered the house of Billa at night, and he found her sleeping alone in a bed in her house, and, and he lay with her. And she awoke and saw, and behold, Reuben was lying with her in the bed, and she was uncovered. And so we understand, you know, that there's a lot of confirming things there, but it adds the detail of the new moon festival. So, okay, so the parents are off celebrating the new moon. Well, the family would have been doing probably the same thing. They're celebrating the new moon festival. And then we go to the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, Testament of Reuben, chapter three. It's the last little paragraph there. And, and here's Reuben kind of recounting to his sons, here's what I did. Here's the sin that I did. He's confessing. For, I, for had I not seen Billa bathing in a covered place, had I not fallen into this great iniquity, for my mind taking in the thought of the woman's nakedness suffered me not to sleep until I had wrought the abominable thing. For while Jacob, our father, had gone to Isaac, his father, when we were in Adair near Ephratah, so... This is actually right after Rachel had died. So they're still in the Ephrata area where she had died. Um, Billa became drunk and was asleep, uncovered in her chamber. Having therefore gone in and beheld nakedness, I wrought the impiety. Without her perceiving it and leaving her sleeping, I departed. And so Billa was not a, a willing participant in this. You know, it's one thing you see. But also... Um, Billa became drunk and was asleep uncovered in her chamber. It's an important detail because, you know, part of the celebration of the New Moon Festival would have been a feast. Billa had drank too much. Possibly she was mourning her friend who had just died, her sister. I mean, uh, was it? It's the testimony of 12 patriarchs, I believe, that point out that Billa and Zilpha were half sisters of Leah and Rachel. I don't know if you remember reading that part. Interesting. Yeah. And so. You know, Billa and Zilpha were from servant wives, concubines, mm -hmm. and, you know, Leah and Rachel were not, so they were full daughters. I don't know. There's a lot to that. But but as soon as I put some of those things together, it pointed me towards Noah in Genesis chapter 9. So here's the here's the wandering around Mount Sinai part. And uh, if you want to go to the next slide, we'll just look at a few things with Noah. Uh and Noah became, this is in Genesis 9, Noah began to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers without. Ah, this is getting interesting, maybe with some of these details. Uh, Jubilees adds, and in the seventh week of the first year of this uh, thereof, in this Jubilee, Noah planted vines on the mountain on which the ark had rested, named Lubar, at one of the Ararat mountains, and they produced fruit in the fourth year, and he did guard their fruit and gathered it in this year. 
uh, in the seventh month and he made wine therefrom and put it into a vessel and kept it until the fifth year, until the first day on the new moon of the first month. Okay. And of course we know what happened with Noah. I don't know if I'll have to read those other two. I think, I think hopefully you're seeing where I'm going with this. Basically Noah had the same thing. It was a new moon celebration. He drank too much. Okay. Uh, we're not going to go into the whole drunkenness thing tonight. Um, he slept uncovered and a family member entered, entered and either saw or uncovered his father's nakedness. I know some people think uh, that Ham did something awful to his father. I'm not going there tonight. I'm just going to notice. I'm just going to notice that Billa's circumstances, new moon, drunkenness uncovered and defilement, you know, seeing his father's nakedness and Noah's are the same exact thing. And what did Noah do when he awoke? And both of them awoke, by the way, that was the other detail in there and knew what had happened to them. Noah knew what Ham had done. Billa knew what Reuben had done. Mm. And Jacob, it says, was told by an angel exactly what had happened. So Jacob also knew what had happened. But as a result of what happened with Noah is that he ended up cursing Canaan. Well, who's living in the land where they're living right now? Canaan's descendants. And this takes us over to Dina. Well, I could talk about Dina for a long time. Dina is kind of one of my things I, I, I'm, but I'm not going to talk about it for a long time. But going into uh, Dina, it says, and in the first year of the sixth week, uh, we're on the next slide, by the way. It should be labeled Dina. There we go. And in the first year on the sixth week, he went up to Shalem. This is from uh, Jubilees again, chapter 30. To the east of Shechem in the place of the fourth month. And there they carried off Dina, the daughter of Yaakov, into the house of Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivi, the prince of the land. And he lay with her and defiled her. And she was a little girl, a child of 12 years old. I, I, you know, what is Shechem? He's a pedophile. We, that's what we call him now. And, and then Jasher adds some more details. And, and basically where I want to go with all this is that as Joseph is being taken off to Egypt to carry away the son, as Joseph, who is a picture of Messiah, you know, going off um, to confront to, to confront Azazel, these two women die. And, yeah. and it's interesting. Um, one is a bride who was defiled and would never see her husband again. And one is a, um, a virgin who would never be a, a bride. And, and all of a sudden you're like realizing, wow, there is something about Joseph being, Joseph being gone. There's something about Messiah dying, you know, because Joseph is a picture of the dying, but not, you know, but risen Messiah. Mm -hmm. And, and you get into these things like, oh my gosh, hold on, let me go down here. I'm going to make sure I get, get my wording right here. Um, Dina is the one who's defiled, or excuse me, Bill is the one who's defiled by someone in the family who would never see her husband again. And Dina is the one who was defiled and would never become a bride. And um, and I, I, I know the thing that I'm pulling away from that is one, I don't want to be the one within the body, like Reuben, who does something so awful to someone else within the body that they don't ever see their husband again. 
that they, you know, and in, in, in her case, she dies. She dies. She never sees him. But imagine if you could, the idea of someone being so crushed by what you did that they wander off and they never see yeah. Yeshua again. They never see Messiah again. And then Dina, you know, she's the one who's a virgin. She's the one within the body who is, who is ready to be presented to her husband, but someone from the outside, you know, a Shechem comes in, you know, and just like Adam didn't guard Eve from the enemy, we don't guard our precious ones, our, whether mm -hmm. it's our 12 year old daughters or whether it's someone within the body who's, who just loves Messiah, loves his law, walks in his ways, and they end up getting dragged off, taken like Dina was taken. And and I don't know. You can see where I'm going with this, right? Well, that's mean, a great it's, connection. It's, it's a it's a it's it's. I, I mean, I know I went a long way around to get there to it, but that detail was added so that we would stop and look, stop and see it, and stop and make all these connections and see the similarities and and understand. You know, these things. We can't be those people can't be those people within the body anyway i'll throw yeah. it off to you <clears throat> yeah i mean it's proof right there that it can be an outside influence or someone within the family someone within the body to be a stumbling block to to cause that kind of damage that we know the consequences of our own salvation you know if we were to do that to one another so that's a great connection i love that what what else did you see? I know I've got a comment here from my wife, Lee. The testaments are prophetic as well. They are speaking to the descendants. And that is true. We are the 12 tribes. And what lessons, like we talked about a few moments ago, you know, those are vile lessons that we can all take something from. In some way, even what Reuben did, or excuse me, even, well, never mind. Go ahead. Keep, keep going. <laughs> You're fine. No, no, no. I've talked too much. It's your turn. So yeah, I just had some random little notes, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. uh, I focused mainly around the coat. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, I shared my thought on that. Um, but also, you know, we can see that I find it interesting the way Yaakov decided to treat Yosef. You know, he mm -hmm. was a part of that as well, growing up with his brother. You know, Yitzhak favored Esau, his brother. So he dealt with that jealousy, I'm sure, with that favoritism. Yet he still chose to show favoritism to his own son, you know, Yaakov, I'm sorry, to Yosef. So I, I find that interesting how, you know, he didn't necessarily break the, the bad habits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes you kind of wonder if maybe um, Yaakov learned his lesson with Reuben and realized, okay, I've got another firstborn here. I need to, be, I need to spend some serious time with him. I need to train him. I need to pour into him because I can't lose a second firstborn. You True, know, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't lose the second one. And, and uh, it's, I mean, I have a kind of an interesting connection to that because, you know, my oldest boys um, are not walking with Messiah, you know, and one of them won't even speak to us. And um, 
and uh, and so my wife and I both agreed we're not we're not losing this last one this this young one you know and so I I I just see what he did and I'm like yes and you know he is the child of my he's my I I'm almost certain sh- short of a very great miracle that that he will be the last one and um, and so we we agree we're not letting him go we are not we're pouring everything into him you know and he just I mean, I just, I see it, you know, I, I get it, you know, it's, it's important to me. Sure. But, Let's um, see here. yeah, I've got this note here. Ultimately the favoritism Yaakov showed Rachel and then Yosef cost him the very son he loved so much. If he had shown that kind of love to every member of his family, could it have been different? Would his, other sons sold Yosef into slavery, you know, if that favoritism wasn't so rampant, but you make a great point. He, you know, didn't want to lose that other firstborn, that yeah. connection with him. Let's see here. Just looking over some of my notes. They're a little scattered. You know, I found it, I I thought it was great that, you know, Yah placed Yosef exactly where he needed to be for the will of the father to unfold, you know, through all the trials he experienced, you know, uh, and and this is such a great portion. I I guess you could say that about all of them, how we can apply it to our own lives. But, you know, every portion uh, we, we come across, there's so much to glean from in our own lives and that's what we love doing is bringing these out because sometimes just reading the scripture, you might pass by some of that, but when you can bring it to life and correlate it to your own life or learn an example out of their mistakes or their trials, that's what's so beneficial is fruit. You know, the fruit that they give off, you know, how can we replicate that? You know, how can we, like we say, emulate Messiah, you know, we will never be perfect or sinless, but, we can always try our best to emulate Messiah. Amen. And I found it interesting that there is apparently throughout the Bible, there's no record of Yosef and Daniel are the only two men where there's no record of them committing any sin or evil report. Now, obviously we know everybody has sin, you know, besides Messiah, but I find that interesting that, you know, he obviously, was a very righteous man and, you know, put y'all first in every action of his life. It's pretty impressive how he, as a servant, um, he didn't just say, Oh, Yahweh's forsaken me. I'm, I'm, I have no, I'm no place left. I might as well just sleep with this woman and, and just enjoy my life. And he didn't, he didn't say that. He continued to walk with Yah. He continued to um, live a, a righteous life, you know, according to the Torah. I mean, and, and I, I credit Jacob for pouring that into him, you know, because his brothers, as we've read in the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, his brothers did not have that. He did. Yeah, they, they lacked the self-control. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they did definitely did. And, and, and that's one of the beauties of, of that book is it talks about all the different ways it you know, and they're not afraid to acknowledge their sin before their children. 
and yeah. and just pour it out and say this is this is how I sinned, but this is how I repented. And it's something my wife and I've learned recently is that when when your testimony is told, that information no longer has power over you. You know, mm. you can't be you can't be uh, bent to the enemy's will. You know, it's like oh, don't sure. don't don't cross me or I'll reveal this about you. You reveal you reveal it all you want. I've already told everybody. You know. So oh, that's great. Yeah. And, um, and, and we just really appreciated that and, and have been trying to, um, to implement that more in our lives, you know, just like make sure that there is nothing that has power over us that could keep us yeah. from, from serving him. And, and Joseph, you know, he didn't sin. Well, I'm sure he, I don't know. It's hard to say, you know, it's like <laughs> there is no record of him doing anything wrong. There you go. That's probably a better way to say it. Exactly. There's no record of him doing anything wrong. So he, there's, she didn't have any power over him. And I love the fact that he is willing to walk out of the house naked, but innocent <laughs> rather than stay there, you know, and, and do something wrong. And, and yeah. I don't know, very challenging. And, and he's a, he was a 20 something. You know, at that point, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if he was 30 yet. You know, I know he was a slave for a good while, but um, but he was probably a, a very young man at that point. And you think, you know, we got we got a good flock of 20 somethings males in Jacob's tent. And and I think we're more and more we're realizing we've got to pour into those boys, you know. Sure. We got to make sure it's that you said the adversary be. is trying to trick and devour you know mm -hmm. roaring like a yeah. roaring lion um and i've actually shared the link in the description of the testament of yosef i'm going to read some here in a minute but it is two mm -hmm. chapters and uh i was reading through it earlier and you get a such a deep understanding of what he went through you know trying to evade this woman and uh that was just throwing herself mm -hmm. on him uh, he he yeah. starved himself because he didn't even want to eat the food that she had, you know, put spells on. Um, you know, he described her as an attractive woman and, you know, basically just throwing at her at him every day, day and night. And I find it amazing that, you know, he ends up in prison because he's wrongfully accused. But he's in prison mm -hmm. thanking Yah that he allowed him to escape from that situation. You know, he, he'd rather be in a prison cell than to have been where he was being, you know, tempted day and night by this woman, you know, and uh, that just Amen. goes to show his commitment to honoring his father and, you know, the forefathers and the Torah, the, what had been passed down to him. And I thought it was great that, you know, it shows that, says that Yahuwah favored him or found grace on him. So no matter where he was, whether he put him in charge over his the house of his Adonai, over the prisoners in the prison cell, or we find him later in the next portion, you know, in charge of Egypt, basically, as yeah. in for Pharaoh. And, you know, yeah. so that's the, the favor. When Yah can find favor in us, we do have a responsibility but he will always bring the best out of any situation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And there was a great, I am going to quote. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go. You go. 
I'm going to quote Bill Cloud. I, I love watching his tour tidbits. <laughs> and uh, this was something that just really stuck out to me. He said, to receive the glory of Yah, we must be willing to endure the suffering first. Yeah, truth. And it, it's truth. no more true than that. You know, uh, Yosef went through a lot of suffering, but he was willing to do it. And we see the glory that he bestowed upon him through all those trials. So, Amen. Amen. Well, I, uh, I just had one other thing about, uh, about Yehuda. Um, sure. To share. I, I didn't focus much on Joseph this time. I, I took a look, 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 took a look at some of the things we skip, you know, between the story, you know, but um, it talks, you know, Genesis 38 talks a lot about, about uh, Judah and about his, um, his marriage to Shalah. Um, and, and she gave him wicked, she's a wicked Canaanite woman and, and she gave him Canaanite sons, you know, and of course those, those sons were influenced more by their mother than their father. And, and they were wicked. We, we know the story about what they did and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I saw something and, and you might recall, um, uh, when I taught a couple of weeks on, uh, Vietze, uh, the Torah portion two weeks ago, um, one of the things that stood out to me the most in that Torah portion was the two deceptions. And, and I don't know if you remember um, what I was talking about with that, but, but basically how uh, you're always not above a little mischief if it means keeping us on track. And so, you sure. know, of course, he, he allowed the deception. You know, Rebecca was the source of it. Jacob wasn't the semi-unwilling participation of, or participant in it. But, um, but, but he allowed that deception because Mm-hmm. Yitzhak was about to give away the blessing to the wrong son, a son yeah. who could never have kept the covenant and, and it would have died right there in Esau's hands, you know, and, and so, yeah, allowed the mystery, the, the deception there. And, and then in this, in the teaching, I pointed out that I, I think Leah was the one that he wanted for Jacob, for Yaakov, because, um, because she was the one who had, the ability to be a matriarch. Rachel just, you know, for all her beauty, just wasn't a matriarch. You know, she had, there's really nothing positive reported about her. You know, even on her death, you know, she's, she's, she's thinking of herself. Oh, this is the son of my, my affliction. This is the son of my suffering. It's like, you want to, you want your kid to have that name for the rest of his life? You know, she wasn't a matriarch. And so, so Yahweh allowed the deception that Laban, you know, had, and, and I, I talked about the connections between how, you know, the, I talked about all the connections between that. You can go back and listen to it. But, um, but because that would keep Jacob on track with the right wife, having the woman who, who would have been the one. And, and I love, I, I, uh, I went back and looked and I think it's in, in Jubilees 37. I didn't, I don't have the scriptures for it, but it just talks about on Leah's death. You know, after, of course, Rachel was gone and Bill is gone and nobody really hears what happened with Zilpah. I don't know if Zilpah was alive or not. But but for the most part, it was just Leah and Jacob at that point. And when she died, he just grieved. He grieved. He buried her with Sarah, you know, where the matriarch should be buried, you know, in the, in the family tomb, not in the one in Ephrata. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, he, and it just talks about how her character was so good. She was kind. 
She never did a, a wrong thing. She never said anything. She just loved and supported Jacob. And it said that he loved her with all of his heart. And it was like, imagine if that had been the story his whole life. If there had been no Rachel, no Billa, no Zilpha, you know, just Jacob and Leah. Because Leah could have borne all those kids. You know, she didn't need any help. She seemed ready, more than able. She bore six sons to him. Um, and she mm -hmm. could have probably borne all of them. But, but in Judah's life, we see another deception. And, and I feel like it has to be connected to it, to the first two deceptions, because this is what keeps, uh, both of those were important. Uh, both of the previous deceptions were important. It had to do with the covenant. It had to do with who was going to accompany Jacob as he was walking through this life. He needed a woman who would keep him on track. And then here's uh, Yehuda, you know, I, I talked about how he married a Canaanite woman and, and his, her Canaanite sons and her wickedness, they, they all died off. But then you have Tamar. Now, uh, the testimony of the 12 patriarchs in Judah's testimony, he, he points out that Tamar was from Mesopotamia. She was not a Canaanite. Mm. Um, if, and, and think about this, if Ur or any, or Onan or any of his Canaanite sons had born a, a child, that child would have been the firstborn. That child would have been in the line of Messiah. And that would have been a great victory for the enemy because you would have just mixed cursed and blessed in the same line, the curse of Canaan and the blessing of Shem. You would have mixed those wow. two in the line. Messiah couldn't have come from that. The only woman in Judah's life that could have borne him an heir was Tamar. And so what happens? You know, she won't, he won't give him the, the third son. She ends up deceiving him. Again, Yah allows a deception. You know, she she plays the, the harlot there in the gate and he comes and mm -hmm. she knows that Jacob, or not Jacob, she knows that Yehuda has this drinking problem. She knows that he's not moral man yet okay i think he gets there but he's not there yet she knows he's a little bit of a re religious hypocrite and so she goes and she he was you know because here he is he's a total hypocrite and he wants to burn her as soon as he hears that she's pregnant you know you know as if as 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 if that means anything coming from a guy like him at the time yeah i think he grows mm -hmm. out of that okay but there's tamar she plays the harlot. She gets pregnant through Judah. So is Tamar the wife that he should have taken? Because she's the only Shemite bride, wife, woman who could have borne him a son that could be within the line of Messiah. It was another time that Yahweh allows a deception to keep Israel on track. And I just, I, I saw that in there and I was like, I guess maybe I've been thinking about it a little bit more about that had never stood out to me before I, you know, uh, when I looked at that before. And so I was going to throw that out and see what you thought of that and see if you had any comments about that. Yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. Um, you know, he obviously has a plan. And when you had brought that up a few weeks back, which, by the way, if you have not seen um, that message, I do have that posted in our description as well the one you gave at Jacob's tent, I believe, was it two weeks ago? Yes, sir. Uh, wonderful message. But I had never personally thought of that before, that, you know, could Leah have been 
the intended wife, you know, what was planned for all along. And, you know, our fleshly desires, we may, you know, go after the shiny, pretty thing, but that's mm-hmm. not always what is meant for us. And I think that was a wonderful perspective and, and lesson to learn that, you know, we have to trust in Yah. And obviously, like you said, through the deception, he made things work out. And, uh, you know, we can't we can't doubt that he is not in charge of all things. Amen. There is this Amen. interesting question here. If you want to take a stab at this, do you believe Yahuwah would put a stop to a bloodline in this time? I know you were talking about that, the bloodline. Hmm. I'm okay. Here's what I'm fuzzy about. Do I think Yahuwah, can you put that back up? Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Do you believe Yahuwah would put a stop to a bloodline in this time? So I'm assuming that the question is referring to the time of Yehuda. And I don't know. Um, I'm going to, well, I guess he didn't because we see the lengths that he goes to, to make sure that the bloodline is correct. (laughs) You know, so I, I, I'm, I definitely couldn't be dogmatic about that. And that's a great question. I don't, I wish I had a better answer. And and maybe if you want to post uh, Regina, is that Regina? Regan? Yes. Regina. Regina. Mm-hmm. Regina. Yeah. Regina, if you could like, if you want to throw up a little bit more specific um, aspect to that question, let's I'd like to see I that again. But... Here. Let's see. I know she asked, are you meaning our current time? And she says, yes. She says some bloodlines are through the fathers. Others are from the mothers. Just trying to understand parts of my own life. Okay, I, I'm I I don't know enough about that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but but you know I do know the adversary the is. Yeah, go ahead. The the adversary is doing everything he can to destroy the bloodline, you know, and uh, that connection that we just have to the father, you know, and we won't get too far into that, but we all know that that is. The, the current goal, I believe, of Hasatan and the adversary is to, mm-hmm. you know, destroy that connection uh, yeah, that we have, absolutely. you know, whether it's pure blood or being grafted in, it doesn't matter. But uh, that That's bloodline true. is in jeopardy. Yeah, I guess my thought was that uh, I, I'm not sure what's going on in, in your life, Regina, but it seems as though that if we take any lesson from the Torah portion, he's more than able to work things out. So that the blood, you know, the, the things that happen within a family happen according to his will. And so I would take comfort in that, that if there's something going on that's just completely out of whack, at least in your mind, uh, at least in what you can perceive, you know, with our limited perspectives, that, that he definitely is more than able. And so I would just turn that back over to him and say, all right, I've seen what you did in the past. Let's, you know, help me to. Gosh, what am I trying to say here? Do it here. Do it here in this bloodline. Do it here in this time. And let me give you praise for it. You know, and help me not to miss it when it happens. So I'd I'd answer your question that way, Regina. No, that's great. We know Mm -hmm. nothing is impossible for the creator. Let me... We can close this up. Like I said, I did want to read just a few verses out of the Testament of Yosef. Oh, good idea. And if you want to 
if you want to finish the rest of it, like I said, I've, I've left the link. This is a great resource, sacredtext.com. It's got all kinds of uh, wonderful texts that sometimes are difficult to find. So this is, I believe there's two chapters in this, but it just gives you a, a comfort and really sound advice on, you know, how to live our life. And uh, I was just really inspired and really touched to read. I think I'll read through the first 24 verses. The copy of the Testament of Yosef. When he was about to die, he called his sons and his brethren together and said to them, My brethren and my children, hearken to Yosef, the beloved of Israel. Give ear, my sons, unto your father. I have seen in my life envy and death, yet I went not astray, but pre persevered in the truth of Yahuwah. These, my brethren, hated me, but Yahuwah loved me. They wished to slay me, but the Elohim of my fathers guided me. They let me down into a pit, and the Most High brought me up again. I was sold into slavery, and Yahuwah of all made me free. I was taken into captivity, and his strong hand secured me. I was beset with hunger, and Yahuwah himself nourished me. I was alone, and Elohim comforted me. I was sick, and Yahuwah visited me. I was in prison, and my Elohim showed favor unto me. In bonds, and he released me. Slander, and he pleaded my cause. Bitterly spoken against by the Egyptians, and he delivered me. Envied by my fellow slaves, and he exalted me. And this chief captain of Pharaoh entrusted to me his house. And I struggled against a shameless woman, urging me to transgress with her. But the Elohim of Israel, my father, delivered me from the burning flame. I was cast into prison. I was beaten. I was mocked. But Elohim granted me to find mercy in the sight of the keeper of the prison. For Yahuwah does not forsake them that fear him, neither in darkness, nor in bonds, nor in tribulations, nor in necessities. For Elohim is not put to shame as a man, nor as the son of man is he afraid, nor as one that is earthborn is he weak or affrighted. But in all those things does he give protection, and in diverse ways does he comfort, through, though for a little space he departeth, to try the inclination of the soul. In ten temptations he showed me approved, and in all of them I endured. For endurance is a mighty charm, and patience giveth many goods. I just thought that was so powerful and, and such a great word to live our life by. This verse here, um, what I really enjoyed. Let's see, where did it go? Sorry, I lost my spot here. Make some slides. <laughs> <laughs> Though for a little space, he departeth to try the inclination of the soul. You know, just mm. like I've done studies on the word forsaken, you know, it's mm. Yah choosing to not intervene in that moment. It's not that he's left us or cast us away, but he is choosing to let us fight through that on our own, to strengthen us, to chastise us, to run us through the fire so we come out pure, you know. And I just think that it's so important for us to remember 
you know, when we are struggling or when we're going through that season that all hope seems lost, you know, he is always there. He will never forsake you. And Yosef is a great example of that. Amen. Good word. Good word. Well, brother, I really enjoyed this. I, yeah, you had a, you had a great message. I'm so glad that you came on and shared. I do thank everybody that chose to come and fellowship with us tonight. If I haven't got to say hello to you, I do apologize. Let me run through the chat. I see we've got some other friends that joined in. Sherry, Betty King, thank you both for being here. Uh, missionary, uh, Emissary of Elohim, good to see you. I'm glad you joined in, as well as Lou. And everybody else that didn't comment, was just so thankful you are here. Regina, thank you for your questions. James, great to see you as well, brother. I'm glad you were able to make it. And like I said, we, we do this every Friday evening as we enter into Shabbat. Always a little bit different, but uh, we, we like to change it up. And we're just so thankful that Stephen came on today to bring a message for us. Um, always great to get different perspectives and, and the insights. Yah has made us all unique and we all see things differently. And so that's why it is so important that we come together as one. The body must work in unity so we can be stronger and like they say, iron sharpens iron. So what better way to, to praise him, lift his name up than a, a fellowship of like-minded believers that are set apart from the world, you know? And so we're just so thankful for everybody, the time they spent this evening. We do hope you have a blessed Shabbat, that Yah gives you the rest and the restoration that you need for a new week ahead. We're just so thankful for the breath that he puts in us, that we can go on and live another day to be an example and to emulate Messiah and to bear those righteous, good fruits that we're called to do. So thank you, everybody. We will go ahead and sign off for now. We hope to see you next week. And Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.